the customers who are larger have more more say, right? So if you got a million dollar customer and it's your biggest customer, you're going to build the invoice however, however they want to see it, right? Because you're not going to get rid of the deal just because you don't want to you know, mix the invoice uh, to their needs, right? So I think it all comes back, honestly, to that first stage in any uh, implementation, which is kind of the discovery and asking the right questions, right? And sure, we can't plan for what we don't know in the future, but allowing the, the system to be flexible. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I am Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Consolidated invoicing and billing are typically the outliers and don't get as much attention until they become painful issues in the organization. So what are the different variables that drive the consolidated processes? How many different types of consolidated invoicing processes exist? Does it vary by product type? Are consolidated invoicing relevant for subscription-based products? If so, what are the data points that are relevant to capture to ensure that the consolidated invoicing is going to work? And what are the best practices we need to keep in mind while selecting your ERP system? Finally, what are the best practices that drive operational efficiency due to the consolidated invoicing processes? These are the questions you will have if your customers have asked you to incorporate consolidated invoicing with your processes. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss how consolidated invoicing processes differ in several industries. We also discussed how larger customers and vendors typically drive the invoicing process and how they could make or break the system implementation. Finally, we discussed how revenue recognition, subscription billing, and continuous manufacturing can drive the consolidated invoicing scenarios that might be limiting even in the largest systems. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformation series. meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. And we always have a very exciting panel to share their insights and wisdom. For today, we have a very, 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 very complex topic. It's called consolidated invoicing. Okay. I have personally seen billion-dollar disasters just because of one invoice and one customer. So it's going to be a lot of fun discussing that. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I'm Sam Gupta. I'm principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. We help our clients with ERP selection, implementation, etc. cetera. I've been doing this for roughly 20 years. So consolidated invoicing is going to be very close to my heart. Now I am going to move to Dave for his intro. 
Hey, good afternoon, Sam. I'm very happy to be here today. Um, my name is Dave Dozer. I'm the president at Blaze IT. I've also been in the ERP space about 20 years, um, give, or, give or take. I like to say I started when I was 12 years old, so um, you can do the math. And um, at, at Blaze IT here, um, we specialize in cloud ERP solutions, specifically in the manufacturing and kind of distribution side of things. So really excited about today's topic and talking about some of those challenges as, you know, on the manufacturing side that can be um, can be a little hairy as you get into trying to consolidate billing and, and run into some unique problems there. So looking looking forward to the discussion today. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. Mark, can I move to you next for your intro? Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm Mark Keynes. I'm the president of Blue Link Associates. We are the developer and implementer of Blue Link ERP. Um, we typically work with owner-managed companies in the distribution, wholesale, and e-commerce retail space. So basically products. I've been around a little bit longer than you guys, I think, like 30-something years in the ERP space. Um, and I didn't start when I was 12, just a clue. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to this topic. I, I have some uh, interesting facts and, and uh, experiences to share, uh, particularly in the in the wholesale industry space with consolidated invoicing. And I'm also interested in learning from the rest of the panels. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much uh, for being here, Mark. And Dave, last time you said six when you started, and today you are also, <laughs> you need to make your mind when you started. And I don't know whether you are trying to get a date here or you are <laughs> talk about ERP. We'll figure that out. Okay, Ben, I'm going to move to you for your Awesome. Excited to be here, Ben Cole, uh, president of ERP Connect Consulting. Um, not as seasoned as Mark or Dave, been in the industry for about seven years, uh, but feel like it's been 14. Um, our firm specifically focuses on the design, implementation, and support of cloud-based ERP solutions, specifically in the professional service, general service, and kind of distribution industries. So really excited to lend that insight in today's call and uh, excited to see what everybody else has. Be here, Ben. Johnny, can I move to you next for your intro? Absolutely. Uh, nice to uh, be on the panel, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Johnny Than here, CEO for AppEfficiency, Inc. Uh, we are a uh, NetSuite Oracle partner doing services and software development for a broad range of industries, including advertising, advertising media and publishing, which does a ton of consolidated invoicing, construction, which has their own version of consolidated invoicing, uh, as well as distribution of CPG. Um, I've been uh, in the ERP and software uh, solution architecting space for about 30 plus years. Uh, you can do the math. And uh, I've worked with over a thousand different uh, customers and uh, personally been on over 200 different projects. So excited to um, share any insights I can. And uh, there's always a few train wreck stories to uh, enjoy it together. Well. Amazing. Thank you, Johnny. Uh, Marco, can I move to you next for your intro? Of course. Uh, hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm the founder of IT Fandango. Been in the industry in the ERP almost as a uh, not the same experience as Mark, David, or Johnny. Again, that's a bad. Specifically with D365F and as a functional consultant. So uh, I've been an independent consultant for a while now. So I had a chance of seeing different projects in different industries. Fantastic train wrecks uh, as well, and now scaling up. Amazing! Thank you so much for being here, uh, Marco. And if you're in the audience and joining uh, for the first time, make sure you guys uh, post your questions and comments. We typically try to cover them during the show, and if you cannot get them, get to them, um, then our panelists will make sure that you are going to receive your answers. On that note, I am going to start with Dave with the first question. And we know that we have a lot of frame racks today in on this topic. So I am really going to start with the story. I don't know, Dave, if you are going to have any sort of story. So provide us the story where you have seen consolidated 
in voicing describe the business a little bit you know how was the business and what were the challenges in implementing the consolidated invoicing processes in that business yeah have some good stories sam and i'll, I'll try to stay away from train wrecks um to kick it off and and let that um kind of go as it flows here you know really one of the big challenges we run into working a lot with manufacturing companies um is the consolidated invoicing isn't necessarily something that they're used to doing. Um, it's not like a subscription kind of business or even a construction type of business. So a lot of times it's a unique kind of situation and you maybe have one customer or a big project and it becomes a little bit of a challenge to to get that working in the ERP system because you maybe weren't set up for that originally. And, you know, one particular instance, we kind of have a client that was switching into a new product line. And and in that side of the business, they really needed to move to a consolidated model because they were starting to do manufacturing for these big projects that would last a year, sometimes two years, even up to five years. Um, and it, it wasn't the normal, you know, cut a PO produce it, ship it, send an invoice type of deal. So they were building to this big project and then having to, you know, consolidate into a single invoice, almost kind of progress type of type of billing in in this regard. And, you know, it was a challenge because none of the systems were set up to handle that. So we started doing a lot of kind of outside processes, managing that and, and kind of you know, using the dirty word of spreadsheets and keeping track of things externally to get the billing correct. And, you know, this is kind of an older ERP system they were using. So we had to implement a lot of these kind of workarounds to, to get it working for them. And that's where a lot of the challenges with, you know, this type of invoicing lie if, if you're not used to doing it this way and set your ERP system up to do that initially. So you can run into these hurdles and roadblocks because what you find then you may not really be set up in a in such a way to say, okay, I'm tracking my cost, I'm tracking my sales, and then appropriately invoicing for that at a at a given interval of time. You know, some of these legacy ERPs, you're, you're set up in kind of a very stringent way. So we had to do a lot of things to kind of trick the system and in this case to to get it to work for for their needs and and that's where i think when you get into consolidated invoicing you're really looking a lot at appropriate data management because you're aggregating a lot of different information and then needing to provide that to the customer in the appropriate format in in that invoice and then you know i'll let some of the other guys talk about you know the accounting side of that but then obviously there's a lot of accounting implications um, that go along with that as far as revenue recognition um, you know, how you're distributing costs across um, periods appropriately, capturing that. So it opens up kind of a whole can of worms outside of just the, the kind of linear type of billing that we're used to in a lot of a lot of industries. Okay, so very interesting insights. And I think we are going to have a little emotional debate here in terms of what is going to be the consolidated invoice, because obviously we need to define that as well, because every industry is probably going to treat it differently. So one of the things that you mentioned, Dave, is going to be, you know, so these guys were actually on the, uh, they were launching a new product manufacturing type, project type, and then they were sort of, you know, transitioning into slightly more progress billing. And I don't know if that is going to be qualified as the consolidated invoicing. We are going to talk with everybody <laughs> if that is the case, because typically in that case, uh, you know, you are going to be releasing the invoice at each stage. Um, so I don't know what are you consolidating there overall from the consolidated invoicing yeah. perspective. In my case, the way I have seen the consolidated invoice is going to be, let's say if I am signing up, uh, signing up with a 3PL that is doing a lot of different mm -hmm. transactions over the period of month, and then at the end of the month, they would like all of these transactions consolidated 
as part of one invoice and that typically becomes a consolidated invoice. So we are going to have a little debate there. So what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think you have to give me a little leeway on that one because I, I kind of from a, you know, I'm approaching it kind of from a data management standpoint and, and you run into a lot of the same challenges with that because at the end of the day, whether it's a subscription type of thing, um, you're signed up with a 3PL and you've got all these transactions running through and even, you know, some of the other guys will talk a little bit more on the construction side of things. But anytime you're talking about aggregating large amounts of information that ultimately need to be invoiced back, to me at least, I kind of put that in that bucket of consolidated invoicing where you're accumulating a large number of transactions and then you're billing on a single invoice for for those transactions. And to your point, Sam, I think even between industries, there's a little bit of discussion or, or challenge even in, you know, folks kind of understanding what that actually means as you go from industry to industry and, and situation to situation. And that's why it's such a, you know, can be such a convoluted situation. Could not agree more. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. So, Mark, I'm actually coming to you. So, in your experience, do you want to define what a consolidated invoicing is? Do you agree with Dave in terms of, you know, the scenario that he mentioned? Would that fall under consolidated invoice? Or the consolidated invoice is going to be when you have one-to-one scenario, multiple sales order, but the customer does not want to see the invoice for every $5 that they might be spending? Okay. I, I mean, I'm, I don't really want to sort of quibble over what the definition is. I mean, I think that the real root of the problem that I was going to raise is, is very similar to the root of Dave's. It's basically a, a mismatch or a difference between normal business practice in one industry that's starting to transact with a player in a different industry that has different accounting, billing, purchasing, whatever practices. So, you know, like, for, for example, what I've always thought of traditionally in, in my space as consolidated invoice is a typical distribution ERP system Every shipment equals one invoice. You know, you place an order for 30 units and I ship out 20 today, five tomorrow and the other five next month, they'll result in three invoices of the same order. Um, so that, that's pretty, and that's when you recognize your revenue, when you generate the invoice and so on. Um, the problems that I've seen come up where you're shipping as a distributor, you're shipping product piecemeal over multiple you know, days or from multiple locations, to a company, and it's usually a bigger company than you, therefore they hold the power, you don't, uh, that accounts for things differently. And actually construction is a really good example of that. So, you know, I'll give you a, a I'll give you a, for instance, of a company that I came across a couple of years ago, actually, and they've been using also a very, very old Unix-based ERP system that they'd implemented in 1992, and they were still using it in 2020. So it had obviously limitations. So th- their business originally was, just selling basically furniture and appliances through a bunch of retail stores. And you'd walk in, buy like a couple of sofas and a dining table, and then they'd ship them to you when they were available. And maybe they'd ship you the dining table tomorrow, you get an invoice. And then a week later, they'd ship you the, the sofa and you get an invoice, simple model. And then obviously they moved to online sales, but that was the same thing. But then in about 16 or 2017, they landed the contract with a very large builder who was building a large subdivision and uh, wanted to order, yeah, I don't know, let's say it was 150 stoves and refrigerators and uh, washers and dryers to kit out the subdivision. But obviously, you don't go and ship 150 of these on the same day. You ship that, you know, they may want 15 a day every third day for like seven weeks or whatever it works out to be. Um, And, you know, your typical distribution model is each time you ship it out, it's an invoice. Well, no, that's not how the builder works and that's not how their procurement system works. That's not how they they pay. That's not how their accounts, uh, you know, accounts payable systems work. 
So they may say, well, in, the, in this particular case, the first builder said, you're shipping it all over two months. Everything is done over two months and you get an invoice at the end for the whole thing. So you still have to do your own internal accounting. You're still going to have to create an invoice because you need to recognize the revenue this month for the things you shipped out this month, but you're not going to send the invoice to the customer. But then you've got to find a way of aggregating all of those and sending them something that looks like a consolidated invoice at the end of the seven weeks that you're delivering things. So you come up with a workaround. Maybe it's Excel, maybe it's Microsoft Word, maybe it's some variation thereof. Then you sign up another builder and this builder says, our project, it's a condominium building, you're going to be shipping appliances over nine months, you're going to be doing two to three shipments a week, and we want one invoice for every month. So now you have a different consolidated invoice. Now you still have to do your regular accounting, you know, posting your invoices as they go out, but you're going to have to have a separate group of people just collating these. And there may be literally, you know, 300, 400 invoices over the nine months that have to be collated and created as a consolidated invoice in a given, for each individual month. I won't bore you with the third and fourth builders they signed up because they each had variations on the same theme. But then, of course, what happens is it's great. You, you know, you've created, I don't know, 3,000 invoices for this one builder project, um, but you've sent out nine consolidated invoices. And guess what? When the builder when the builder pays you, when they remit their payment for that in for the invoice, they remit against the consolidated invoice. So you had a consolidated invoice for seventy thousand dollars, and it related to twelve hundred actual physical invoices in your system, but they deducted a certain amount. You have to now figure out how you're going to allocate the payment on that one so-called consolidated invoice against all these individual invoices that do not have the consolidated invoice number. So you don't even, in your in your old accounting system, you don't even have a cross-reference to from the original invoice numbers, all these thousands of invoices, consolidated invoice numbers. So, you know, that's a, that's a real, and I've seen that a lot. Uh, I mean, I do have some suggestions or some examples of how you can solve that problem and how I've actually solved that problem in the past. I don't know, Sam, if you want me to get into that now, we'll keep that for later. But that's the, kind of, that's really my understanding of the things I've dealt with in, in terms of consolidated invoice. Yeah, so I would definitely like to do a little bit of, uh, you know, solutioning here, especially I'm interested in knowing, you know, how the 90s. Uh, Unix system would have handled this because I'll be, I'll be, uh, you know, I'm always looking for those surprises in terms of the way and the creativity that they, these guys actually put in. And I'll tell you my experience, okay? When you are looking at these 1500 invoices, when you are trying to consolidate them, if you don't have the underlying database, which is going to be Superman grid, it's going to be really, really hard to deal with that. In our case, the reason why it was billion dollar disaster is because everything worked, okay? For a billion dollar company, the only transaction that would fail is going to be consolidated invoice. And you can see the transaction, the depth of the transaction overall, the database will blow up, okay? That was the, the experience that we had. And we were mm -hmm. like, okay, now what do we do? Start the whole system and then create it again because this is not gonna work for the processing. So what do we do? So in your case, how did you handle this, Mark? Well, so when, I mean, when we transitioned this company to, to our system, we, we have got some tools in there because we've encountered this kind of thing before. This was a rather extreme example just in terms of the volume of invoices, but we've encountered similar things before. We've encountered companies that distribute toys, etc. but the same thing, they were distributing to some fairly big box players and uh, the big box player said, okay, you know, I order a thousand widgets, whatever, Rubik's cubes. And you're going to ship them, you know, 400 from your Arizona warehouse and 500 from your Texas warehouse. And the rest are coming from your Pennsylvania warehouse. So traditionally, those would be three separate invoices. But we've got tools that allow you to consolidate 
if that particular customer wants one invoice for the three shipments, you've got tools built in. So, you know, but building on that, the idea is that you, you still generate your individual, um, your, your individual invoices, but you have a process whereby you can group a bunch of invoices together and consolidate them by giving them a consolidation number. So again, as you say, it goes to the database has to support it. Uh, so you have a unique consolidation number. It's a completely different number. Like if your invoice numbers are seven digits, then maybe your consolidated invoice numbers are 12 digits and have an alphanumeric prefix or something. Um, and, and the system tags the individual invoices that you're including on the consolidated invoice. Uh, and therefore you generate a smoke and mirrors document that looks like an invoice. It's not really an invoice, but it looks like an invoice. And then obviously you have to make sure that your database supports dealing with a like a, a payment recording, a record payment screen um, or a record payments automated process that will look at the um, consolidated invoice number as an alternative to looking at the real invoice, you know, showing the real invoice numbers. So that that was that's kind of, I mean, basically the trick. But of course, the variation here in this particular circumstance, the, the example that I gave you, is that if you're dealing, they're dealing right now, they're dealing with like seven builders, but the first four builders they were dealing with, each of them had a completely different set of requirements about how you consolidate. So there we did have to build, we built a little tool, looked at the database, but outside of the ERP, that would allow you to, based on the builder type in the customer database, would show you the invoices that you had not yet consolidated invoiced, your real invoices that you hadn't yet consolidated the invoice, based on different parameters, depending on whether it was builder A or builder B, you know, whether it was by month or by project or by PO number or by sub-PO number or whatever, um, aggregate them, allow you to sanity check, click a select all button, hit the button, and we'll go and populate the consolidated invoice number for all of those invoices, and then you go back into the ERP and generate the generate the email, the uh, consolidated. Now, the one other thing that I will just say, not in this particular situation, but that I've also seen happen with consolidated invoicing, um, goes to EDI as well, and that obviously adds a whole other complexity of consolidation. But I, I think I'll kind of stop there now. So. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Mark, for that. So, man, I'm actually coming to you, and I think we are going to have a little debate there as well in terms of the look-alike uh, consolidated invoice versus the real consolidated invoice functionality in my experience i mean you are going to have the real consolidated invoice functionality in a lot of different erp systems and obviously thank you so much for bringing edi okay so when you are <laughs> going to have look alike because edi is going to probably going to have a lot of challenges there as well so do you have a story maybe you and your experiences overall from the consolidated invoicing perspective man yeah definitely so i just want to start out by saying i definitely agree with a lot of what Dave and Mark said, um, I'm glad to see that it's kind of industry agnostic and we're kind of all experiencing uh, some of the same issues because I definitely, when Dave was talking, I definitely agree in terms of, you know, it consolidating in invoicing can be pretty vague, right? It's just getting a lot of different information on one form. What does that look like? I think Mark went into even deeper detail in terms of, you know, at a customer level, because I have, I have quite a few customers being in the professional services space that want invoicing details to be displayed differently, right? Some people are fine where I just send them all the hours and they're like, okay, we'll just pay it. Some people want hours by project. Some people want hours by project by resource, right? So you really have to have deep, deep capabilities within your system, regardless of what system it is, to be able to handle a lot of those unique scenarios. And one of my favorite things that's been said in the last half hour is when Mark said, you know, the customers who are larger have more, more say, right? So if you got a million dollar customer and it's your biggest customer, you're going to build the invoice however, however they want to see it, right? Because you're not going to uh, you're not going to get rid of the deal just because you don't want to you know, mix the invoice uh, to their needs, right? So I think it all comes back honestly to 
that first stage in any uh, implementation, which is kind of the discovery and asking the right questions, right? And sure, we can't plan for what we don't know in the future, but allowing the, the system to be flexible. So when I think of um, situations that I've been in recently, it kind of goes off of that, you know, multiple requirements and building for growth, even though we don't maybe have all the requirements today, but trying to get as many scenarios as possible. Like I said, you know, customer, customer by project, customer by employee, and then kind of showing them the matrix as to how it can be built out in the future. And on my side, right, we haven't talked about this yet, but somebody mentioned revenue recognition, right? So I feel like the, the consolidating invoicing piece, especially in a professional services firm, when you have professional services, product and subscription revenue, either for product or services, can start to get really convoluted and complicated, right? Because all of those things that are on one invoice may need to be recognized in different months. Um, and you need to also capture costs in the same period you're capturing revenue. So I think that's when it gets the most complicated. And that's when you really need to have a deep understanding of what the client is trying to accomplish and be able to, to build to that so they don't have to do a lot of manual work. I, I hate going in spreadsheets. Sometimes it's a necessary evil, but the more you can automate in the system, in my opinion, you know, the better off you're going to be long term, even if it costs a little bit more to set up initially. But again, always looking at that future state, building for growth, making sure you can match expenses to your revenue in the same period. That's what I deal with time and time again, especially being in the industry that I'm in. Right. It's probably the number one concern and the probably the first question most people ask me. Right. How can I have five different product lines with different rhetoric treatments on the same invoice? And, it, and it's and it's not easy sometimes. Right. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. So. Uh, the, the times it's not is the ones you really have to dig into and spend some time on. So very interesting layers there. And I especially like your layer about the revenue recognition. And I think, you know, Johnny is going to touch on that a lot as well. So let's say if we talk about the, the um, you know, revenue recognition here, and you mentioned that, you know what, you have five different products and they might go to, uh, you know, some different account. So let's say if I just don't understand uh, overall from the order to cash flow perspective, um, you know, I just don't have enough depth and you are trying to coach me in terms of, you know, how the workflow is going to appear. Let's say if I'm, uh, you know, trying to visualize the process in my head. Okay, how is my invoice going to be? What all products do I need to have, uh, you know, on the invoice? And then how the allocation is going to work? Do you want to paint some more colors there overall in terms of the revenue recognition, Ben? Yeah, definitely. I think the easiest way to start is just think about what you're actually doing on a day-to-day -day basis physically and also from a subscription standpoint, right? So like, I like to break it down one thing at a time. I don't like to tackle all five or six at the same time, just because I feel like it could get uh, complicated. But let's just say you have professional services, probably the easiest, right? If I perform my services in June, no matter when I bill for it, if I bill for it in May, or if I bill for it in July, maybe you're, you're billing up front and they get a discount or you're billing after the fact, after all the work's done. I like to think of it as, you know, when was that work actually performed? I don't really care when, what the invoice date is, as long as you can allocate it from either the future month or the prior month into the month that it actually needs to get into. Very similar with, um, with product or uh, licensing on, on SaaS subscriptions, right? If I'm billing for it in May, maybe I bill for it May 25th, but they're paying on May 25th for, you know, a license that's from June. For, for the entire month of June, let's just say, right? So sure, you can bill for it at any given time. I like to I like to make the main distinction of when I bill it doesn't necessarily mean when it was performed or when it needs to be recognized. So 
really separating the two and having individual conversations about both um, is is how I'll start to paint paint the roadmap. I don't really, I'll tell them, I don't really care when, when you invoice it. We just need to have a, we need to have two separate dates, an invoicing date and an actual services performed or licensing period and stuff like that. And maybe the period is the 25th to the 25th. Well, now I have to allocate five days to one month and 25 days to the next in case that's the last month that that occurs, right? So really digging into invoicing dates and you know whether it's consolidated or not, honestly, and then the actual services being performed or the licenses being licensed for any given period for, um, for anything. And I know that's probably very similar um, not just to my industry, but to construction or really, really anything you're doing, you know, typically you need to match expenses with revenue when they're happening. If I have all of this revenue in May, but the services were actually performed, maybe the employee hasn't even started in May. Maybe the employee's first day is June 1st, right? Now I've got all this revenue in May, but the employee's salary is all in June, right? So just kind of helping visualize the matching of just revenue to expense and making sure that they're in. Amazing clarity there. Thank you so much, Ben, for that. Uh, now, Johnny, I'm actually going to come to you. So obviously you have a lot to unpack there, I guess. So we are going to be touching this from many different perspectives. The lookalike consolidated invoice functionality versus the real consolidated invoice functionality, any layers from the EDI perspective, revenue recognition. In the construction industry, I'm pretty sure you are going to have a lot of this there. Johnny, over to you. Sure. Uh, thanks. A uh, lot of great feedback here on, from the past uh, panelists uh, in their comments. And I'll tell you that uh, construction is not that different from the perspective of the fundamental problems are the same. Uh, revenue recognition is separated from the activity of billing. So present, presenting the data is one thing. Uh, meeting a financial compliance level is another. And that's really what RevRec is all about. So in the construction industry, they have uh, a variety of issues. One of them is, first of all, that they do it across projects. And so when you have multiple projects, you often want to consolidate across multiple projects. Your revenue recognition in construction is almost always tied to cost-based progress. So uh, there's a concept of earned value, which is very much what Ben talked about, where if you earn the value, then that's when you recognize the revenue. You recognize the revenue proportionally to the value of earned um, activity. In construction, it often has to do with cost. Your your costs are so high, and that the margins, you know, a hundred million dollar project in construction, it could be eighty million or more in cost. So in that type of scenario, you might buy fifty million before you dig, put, you know, before you break ground. And if that's the case, then you absolutely need to recognize revenue earlier because you've already recognized the cost. And so in construction, they will often recognize cost-based progress. And that is 100% separated from billing, potentially. Construction also has the glorification of having very structured billing formats. This follows many of the uh, Architect Institute um, AIA formats, which, of course, requires that you have work code-based billing, which can or may or may not be tied to cost-based progress. And so you have now the complication of not just doing cost-based progress uh, revenue recognition. You have it at a per-line level or per activity code type level. And so that can get very complex as well. You can imagine across uh, thousands of projects and, and, uh, and, and breakdown and, and uh, consolidation of projects as well within that. All, of course, uh, because you have these massive customers that demand their RevRec in a very specific way and demand the payments in a very specific way. So you, you really do have to disjoint the two. If you ask me in what I've seen across several different ERP systems, the best of breed will typically be able to have flexibility in both the consolidation 
And one thing this group hasn't talked about is once in a while you have to split invoice too. So sometimes with consolidation comes splitting, um, which is even more fun. So um, the whole thing is complex. You got to look at the whole problem all together. Have to understand and put all the parts on the table before you build perfect uh, perfect uh, end product. Okay, so very interesting insights there. And I definitely want to have some more clarification there because people who might not be familiar with construction and you spoke about a little bit of, you know, under value, right? And here, you know, the clarification that I'm looking for is, so you mentioned that, you know what, you are going to buy this equipment for 50 million. Okay, I have not done anything whatsoever. Okay, and I may not do anything whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> and, but I am able to recognize the revenue uh, at least that's what you mentioned, right? So right. how does that process work? So let's say if I bought an equipment now, am I allowed to recognize revenue that I constructed half a building? That doesn't make a lot of sense from the accounting perspective. So do you now paint some more colors in terms of what is allowed and what is not? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there is there is strict guidelines on this stuff, of course. But the reality is construction projects, um, I would say, are some of the most uh, mature in their model of building and revenue recognition. And so... Uh, construction projects almost invariably start with a firm estimate, and as those estimates change, and construction projects have a lot of change orders, so so consolidated invoicing becomes even more important because you might have 40, 50 change orders on a single project. It's not uncommon, uh, and when you have that, each estimate drives a net new cost level and layer, which ultimately ends up with a different revenue recognition schedule. So all of that said, to answer your question, Sam, more appropriately, I think really what uh, the construction industry does is it says, depending on what your total cost progress is, it looks at the entire schedule and it looks at the schedule of that of that uh, shipment. That is generally when you will recognize your revenue. You have delivered something to the site. You may not have assembled it yet, but you've delivered it to the site. And so you in, in construction, you have several models. You can have a pure cost, material-oriented focus of the revenue recognition, or you can have one that has a specific blend of labor, or you can have pure labor especially when you sub out a lot of the work. So, um, so all three models prefer perfectly legitimate. And, uh, and, and generally, it's going to follow a industry standard practice on whether or not you're uh, on the type of construction project you're delivering. Okay, amazing. Thank you for those insights, uh, Johnny. So, Marco, I'm actually speaking to you. And obviously, you have a lot of fun overall in terms of the ERP projects. And I am going to relate the construction project with the ERP project now, right? So basically, what Johnny is trying to tell me is, okay, so if I'm in the ERP industry and I can, can claim that, you know what, I have done $50 million worth of work in the ERP when I may not have written a single line of code that nobody knows and that I can recognize. I don't know how that is going to be transferred in the ERP industry. So from your perspective, when you look at the whole revenue recognition as well as the consolidated invoicing, what are some of the best practices or the train racks that you have seen, Marco? So um, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, what I would like to mention anyway is that uh, we talk about uh, consolidated invoices, uh, you uh, as a common one all transaction and have then having it consolidating that and invoice to the client, subsequent problem of how you're going to allocate the revenue. There's another case, and I get to that in your question, which is very funny, which is the other way around. And I don't have much instruction, but I have way more. And if you do that, you're going to rely to a certain extent anyway on holiness. And they have this great habit of validating invoicing and send them to you one single invoice when the most absolute case that the most absurd case that I've seen is this single invoice of 20 pages packed of lines and each line was product shipped because they were different not necessarily matching the order the client actually had with them so then you are the other way the problem from the other 
way around. You have a single click invoice that then you have to allocate to whatever you've done, whatever you've purchased, you ship. Uh, to answer your question in terms of best practice, when it comes to the, uh, the other guys have described, uh, virtually, I'm always you're using small project functionality system. So rather than having uh, orders or transactions that are handled, rogue transactions if you want, you want to have to the client. Uh, rather than doing something like that, you would have a functionality in the system, customer, it gets very, very tricky. Uh, we are actually talking about a miniature ERP. That's what it's about to do that. You, know, you have a miniature ERP where transactions are incurring, and then you're going to import transaction, whatever uh, rules you have decided or whatever you the client. Uh, the, the most flexible way of doing so is that you're actually the contract with the funding. That's going to help to understand how to recognize the costs that are incurred. Then you're going to start incurring all the transactions. may change depending um, the type of transaction, the face of the project, and so on, a theme for construction. And then you're going to do voicing by taking all or some of the transactions as relevant into a single voice, which at that point be the milestone, and then running that invoice depending the, uh, that you have. But generally speaking, I've never seen uh, a huge amount of complexity, huge amount of chaos from that point of view. If this project management will mean IT, I mean IT is doing that. So you have a smaller ERP, a more ERP that works like the ERP itself. You keep everything separate and accumulate the transactions. Um, moving on to what I said earlier, which is the very funny thing that I've seen in you have when you are on the other side of the um, of the issue with a client, consolidated invoice uh, from earlier, and you need to understand how that relates to orders that you actually run. Uh, generally, the level of complexity that I see there is that you and the holier may not be on the same line what the transaction. Uh, let me take a step back. My definition of consolidated invoice is that you have more as in and you come together. Generally speaking, if you have more than one line, as in transaction, you're definitely better off putting that in the same order and then from each line individually, flexible process orders uh, separately, as in you're shipping once per week and at the end of the But the, the other way around happens when order is consumed to a single voice and you receive. Uh, one of the most complicated cases that I've seen that, this was a company in and the ERP was used actually by the division on separate legal entity. So this company cured the material for the production side. Of and funnily enough, uh, this uh, center was actually in direct competition with the local teams of the manufacturing company. So what that meant is that they needed to be very, very careful about whatever costs uh, came from the holiest because that, would, that was deliberately impact the bottom line, the bottom line, and whatever cost they could have, uh, whatever cost they could add. Uh, the extra layer of complication there is that you can't think in terms, well, when you have holders, you either are good enough uh, or lucky enough in your industry that whatever you buy or sell is just a product and the holder is going to take care of everything else. And if you really outsource this, you're going to talk about 3PL warehouse. You know exactly where you ship. You're going to receive at some point a bill that is a matter of storage and then holding cost, shipment cost, and that's it. If you are unlucky, then you have to rent the whole um, truck because maybe it's refrigerated. It's only your products in there. So it's up to you to optimize the shipment there. So in this case, we're thinking about fresh products that have to be shipped into refrigerated, or chilled, frozen, or ambient uh, truck. And we're talking huge volumes because it would usually be the yield, the output of a field from a farmer. So how if you are the procurement company, you receive that and the holiest in the how are you going to organize that? Because everything's going to have an impact. The number of shipments, uh, the rate per kilometer, depending on where it's come from, 
and you may try to calculate that in your system to try to estimate what the charge on every order is, which again may not be on every order, it's actually lying on it. And then the holier may have a different calculation there. And the, the very interesting thing in this client is that they had this complex custom mechanism in the system to calculate the freight cost. This becomes very, very common. So I'm talking about uh, what used to be AX 2009, talking about 10 years prior when they started customizing it. Nowadays, the standard of calculating that, but it's still quite a mess because you have to calculate all the rates. And they would do all of that. They would calculate their own version, and then they would receive the actual bill uh, from the, the whole year as a consolidated invoice that not much because you would have the rates that are not the same. And then you have to take all of that, you have to match it, and you have to allocate it on the products, understanding exactly what you've done. So very often in manufacturing, you have to the other way around. You have the proper way around. You consolidate uh, the complication is on how to allocate that as a cost to every activity, every shipping that you've done, whether you Okay, amazing insights there. So one of the things that I found in our earlier conversation when we were talking about Marco is going to be your experience with continuous manufacturing. Uh, and continuous manufacturing is something that I don't see with a lot of people. I mean, they uh, don't really have as much experience in that space. So when you look at the continuous manufacturing, if I compare this with the project-based manufacturing or construction or something that is going to be project-based, you have the beginning, you have the end, and you sort of have, uh, you know, how you are going to allocate your expenses to your revenue. So how does continuous manufacturing works? Is it going to be more like, you know, the way subscription is going to work in Ben's industry, or is it different uh, from the revenue recognition and the allocation? So we, we're going a bit far away from solidarity this here. Uh, we're touching a very, uh, uh, you know, it, it's a pain point when it comes to that. And there must be a reason if the majority of uh, yeah, discrete, discrete manufacturing or any form of manufacturing that may be processed but is still batch-based. Uh, there are very few software in the industry that are capable of handling continuous uh, production. By that, uh, I mean a machine that is active 24-7 and it keeps spitting out the production regardless of what you do. And this production is, so you can't stop the machine. You can't do batches. Whenever you do uh, a change in product, you're still going to have a, a period of transition between that. So you don't stop the machine, change the batch, uh, change the product start off. So you only stop the machine once a year for, for maintenance. And the machine is always active. And the funny thing, at least in the case that I've seen, is that uh, because of how this machine works, uh, which is manufacturing as well, you're not going to get discrete products until the very end. Uh, you need to insert chemicals in variable quantity, depending on how the output is going, how the production. So there's no fixed ratio, and you have to modulate the amount of chemicals you put in to ensure throughout the process. Again, 24-7. So there's, there's no real way of trying to uh, have a standard formula or bill of material to say I'm going to three of that and four of that in of time. Uh, it, it makes it incredibly complicated to try to uh, map these costs into a single period. Uh, starting from the assumption that the project has been an absolute train wreck, train wreck because they try to uh, replicate, they try to eliminate this concept of continuous uh, manufacturing and they try to move the, the discrete uh, and then try to process that into the EAP. So at the end of the day, once the process, once the, the product was ready, you would end up with physical units. So they try to reverse engineer the cost there and say, oh, this unit has been produced into this amount of time and more roughly that we consume the material. So let's say that this is the amount of, of that, uh, which 
generally doesn't work. So uh, it, it gets very, very tricky and very, very complicated to, to handle continuous product P. Uh, from the experience that I had, uh, there's not very many projects out there that are trying to do that. From the experience that I have, uh, that I've had, my uh, very honest opinion would be stay away from trying to do that. Uh, just just use ERP as an accounting software to manage the accounting side of things, and you can do that because you're going to have consumption of whatever you've used. But uh, for your mental sanity, just use dedicated software. Uh, there are not ERP software. Uh, use dedicated software to, to manufacture the, sorry, to handle the, the continuous. Okay, amazing insight there. And the reason why I brought this topic is because every single invoice that you are going to have there is probably going to be some sort of, uh, you know, it's going to have some consolidated flavor because you don't really have the beginning and the end. So how do you decide? So maybe uh, I think we can solve invoicing is probably going to be applicable in that as well. But Jay, I'm actually coming to you uh, back. And we are simply covering any comments over comments, any agreement, disagreement uh, with whatever has been said so far. Well, to, to kind of tie it all together, I, I'd like, uh, like to see if I can get agreement that um, the consolidated invoicing means a lot of different things to um, to a lot of different folks. And, and you know, it, it's kind of like a lot of things when you're talking talking ERP. That, that's the whole key. It, it's very different given the industry, given the scenario, um, and even getting the tools lined up to, to process and manage. And I'll, I'll say Mark was very brave bringing up EDI. That's a whole other, um, you know, that's a whole other conversation there with, with getting that lined up. But, you know, I think one of the themes too is a lot of times the consolidation of the invoices is driven, you know, by your customer. And a lot of times, you know, you're maybe a little smaller, they're a lot larger and they're kind of dictating the the terms of how you're going to invoice to them. So, you know, just as, as you're looking at this or if your business is looking at this, you know, moving forward, it's really about, you know, getting the process in place, understanding what data you need, when you need it, and being able to, to generate that invoice, hopefully through the ERP system without, you know, jumping through um, through too many hoops. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things that it, it can just be very complex and, you know, where it's important to, to really have it mapped out uh, appropriately to, to meet the needs of, of what your customer wants. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. Mark, I'm coming to you. Any comments, uh, you know, over comments that has been said so far? Well, well, I have to say, first of all, that I've learned a lot about a lot, a lot of different industries and a lot of different issues around here. Um, so I have to thank you all for making me so happy that I mostly focus on wholesale distribution. Sounds a lot simpler than all the others, which we all, all knew, of course. Um, but you know, the interesting thing is like revenue recognition around consolidated invoicing in different in different industries. Th there's like a lot of commonality. It all ultimately comes down to the more automated from an end user, from from our customers' perspective the more automated they can make the process, the less manual manipulation there is, um, the better it's going to be because, and again, my, this is my experience, um, other than the most sophisticated companies that I've dealt with, for the most part, many of them do not fully understand the, many of the concepts we've discussed in terms of re revenue recognition. And as soon as there is any need for anything more than a simple one-to-one -one transaction I do the work or I ship out the product or whatever today and I invoice today. As soon as there's any, we prepay the invoice a month in advance or we pre-purchase service a month in advance or or we you know ship it out today, but we only invoice it next month or whatever. Um, the whole concept of revenue, revenue recognition flies out the window. And again, I mean, just one little final anecdote. Um, we did have a, an interesting situation with a customer who we kind of got called in to help with a forensic audit by their investors, by their shareholders. And what they did was they, they struck a special deal with one of their very, very big customers. 
where the customer wanted to write off the expense in their fiscal year. So they would invoice the customer, let's say in February, if the customer's fiscal year was February, but they would only ship the products out in like the middle of March, but made no attempt to adjust the revenue recognition aspect of those things. So of course they were completely overstating the revenue and they were matching costs. That's the good news. They matched the cost and the revenues in the same period. But when you've got like a 40% gross margin and you're shipping out a, or you're invoicing out a $12 million project in February and the products are only be shipped out in March, that's a, that's a fairly significant overstatement of revenue. And um, yeah, so that's one of the dangers. I just wanted to share that final anecdote. Okay, then. So Ben, any comments uh, over comments? Yeah, well, I, I know I spoke after Dave and Mark, so I think I already touched on their points, but really happy to hear what uh, Johnny and Marco had to say, because I think a lot of that kind of going back to some of my points, right? I kind of factored out into this like small, medium, large type implementation realm. You know, you kind of get what you pay for at the end of the day, right? So in my example, you could easily invoice manually and you could revrec manually and you could make accruals to get things in the right periods. But then kind of going off of what Marco said, right? You could use a full blown project management solution within the ERP to do professional service and SaaS and subscriptions and all that good stuff. And that'd kind of be the more on the medium large side. So a lot of times I think it comes down to just talking to my clients. I'm sure it's the same with, with all of you and really digging into the requirements to see what do we truly need? Do a cost benefit analysis. We don't want to overkill it, but we also don't want to come under and just cut corners um, just to save on costs. So I think there's a different fit. There's no one size fits all. And it really all comes down to finding out what your client needs, uh, what their company needs, and then really kind of fine tuning it to, to build in specifically what they're looking for. So much Ben for that. Uh, Johnny, I'm coming to you. Any comments uh, or comments? So I think there's been a lot of great comments. So I'm just going to try to leave folks with a little bit of wisdom that uh, this stuff is complex. And, uh, you know, the, the, the usually the, the trigger point or the breaking point is volume. So when you start doing, when you do one of these things, it's no problem. When someone's doing five of them in a month, it's probably no problem. When you start doing 50, 500, 5,000, now it becomes a big problem. And you really do have to get multiple departments involved to do it right. Um, but there's a good old saying in software, right? Uh, software is 90% commitment, 10% functionality. And, uh, and I think that that can still hold true today. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for that, uh, Johnny. Uh, Marco, I'm coming to you. Any, any comments over comments so far? Yes, uh, I would like to pick up on what Ben said, the requirement. And more in general, the business, I talked about how the system can pick up and implement it. You can run it in the system, but it's always funny to see how you can also abuse the system. Uh, the fact that you need to do some of revenue recognition, consolidating, that you need, you know, uh, not to ship everything at once and to once. Or, there's different ways that you can do that in the system. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are all effective, they're efficient, and it doesn't mean that they're not going to problems on the run. Just an example on this, and unrelated to this, but it's very, very funny. I always like to share it. Um, I had this company there, uh, basically had machines that were on the sites. And so they would have some of the stock and you take that stock from the central warehouse, you ship it where the client is, which could be whatever. And then you keep the stock there for a while until the machine consumes. So because they couldn't represent those machines because they were not located anywhere and they couldn't create sites for the clients every time, what they basically did is they created warehouses to represent the machines. And then they moved the stock into those warehouses to say that the stock is somewhere out there with that machine. And then they would run a journal to say the stock is consumed because the machine is 
And what happens with the stock? How, how is it continue? Where, where does it go in the ledger? What about tracking all the consumption of the machine, the usage, and so on? So, yeah, technically, that's the way that they did. And they, they recognized our possible. That's a way of doing it. It works. Technically, it works. Is it how you want to do it? Not necessarily, because it's potentially not the right way of doing it. So there's few things that uh, using the right functionality of the system to actually do things properly as possible, design something that is needed. The second thing, which is the prerequisite of this, is really understand what business need is. The processes and this actual needs down there. Because in this case, it was probably a matter of uh, ensuring that the stock is ring-fenced, it's somewhere else. Uh, as opposed to actually representing it where the machine is. You don't need to run the machine if you machine, or you need to properly track the machine and the process of in the stock, the production or whatever that he's spraying. So it, it's always funny how the system can be used, but also can be abused uh, to, to get to a certain result. Yeah, so these are the stories that I really like to hear. These are the creative ones, to be honest, my favorite, right? So thank you so much for bringing that. Uh, now, Dave, the only thing we can take right now is going to be closing advice when it comes to voice. So, yeah, like, like the guys have mentioned here, you know, it's a very complex process. So make sure you get the process down so that to, to Marco's point, you're, you're using the system and, and not abusing the system because it's, it's going to be very unique per industry and you'd really understand the requirements. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. Mark, what would be your closing advice? Please? That's going to be what I'm going to say every time I'm on the show. Automate. Automate. Get it right. Automate it so that it actually works right. But automate. Don't rely on manual processes, human memory. Okay. Could not agree more. Thank you so much, Mark, for that. Man, what is going to be your closing advice? I like what Mark said. And going off of that, kind of build your rules and requirements and continuously reevaluate so that you're always kind of at the cutting edge. Okay. Amazing. Thank you so much, Man, for that. Uh, Johnny, what would be your closing advice, please? Always look at the problem as a multidimensional problem. It's not just one. You're not just bulldozing into one thing that you're trying to solve, you're actually solving many things at once. And so you have to compromise. Amazing. Thank you so much, Johnny, for that. Uh, Marco, what is going to be your closing advice, please? I'm actually going uh, against the group there, and I'm going to say, against Mark, and I'm going to say, don't automate in the sense that automation is usually the, the last thing, and you can only uh, uh, take the, the freedom of doing that if everything else is and everything else working if you've done a lot efforts in the first place of analyzing what's needed, implementing a solution and actually reliable fashion. So uh, my advice would be do the work beforehand, do all the studies for stress testers and get some uh, robust design. Yeah, could not agree more. And I think the point that Marco, you are trying to touch is going to be automating, right, is far more important than just simply automating or over engineering it. So make sure you are automating it right. In all, in all my implementation experience, we never get to the phase where things are stable enough to automate them. So <laughs> that's very rare. Yep. Love it, guys. So that's it for today. And uh, if you joined for the first time, this was part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation and we always have a very, uh, that is willing to share their insights and wisdom. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another topic and another panel. On that note, thanks everyone for your time and insights tonight. Right. Thanks, thanks a lot. Everybody. Take care. Thank Appreciate you. it. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Mark Keynes, head over to bluelinkerp.com. It's B-L-U-E-L-I-N-K-E-R-P.com. If you want to learn more about David Dozer, head over to blazeitweb.com. It's B-L-A-Z-E-I-T-W-E-B. 
erpconsultancyb.com. If you want to learn more about Van Cole, head over to erpconnectconsulting.com. It's erpconnectconsulting.com. If you want to learn more about Marco Romano, head over to learn.itfandango.tech. It's l-e-a-r-n dot i-t-f-a-n-d-a-n-g-o dot t-e-c-h. If you want to learn more about Johnny Tran, head over to efficiency.com. It's a-p-p-f-i-c-i-e-n-c-y dot com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you or your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Paul Bregel, who shares his insights into the operational challenges and quick fixes to deliver desired KPIs for a chemical company. Also, the interview with Bob Feathers, who shares his insights and lesson learned from a multi-site ERP implementation. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to get you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.